Welcome to Redeemer Lives, Redeemer Lives, a podcast by and about the spirituality of the richly diverse Milwaukee Christians who are all connected to little, bold Redeemer Church in the heart of the city on Wisconsin Avenue. I'm Lisa bates Froyland, pastor of Redeemer, and since 2011, I've been on a journey with the incredible people you'll meet on this podcast each week. I always say there are no dull people at Redeemer, and thanks be to God for that. Even during this pandemic, our Redeemer lives, and we are living our Redeemer lives. Redeemer Lives, Redeemer Lives is sponsored by Jeff Onerow Designs. For more than 15 years, the creative team at Jeff Onerow Designs has been handcrafting liturgical textiles. Their processional banners and seasonal banners grace sanctuaries across the country. Their frontals and pyramids adorn altars and lecterns in churches of all sizes. Clergy love their pastor stoles, I have three myself, deacon stoles, and other vestments. They are proud to include Episcopal, Presbyterian, Methodist, ELCA, Lutheran, United Church of Christ, Disciples of Christ, Unitarian, and Roman Catholic faithful among their clients. Interfaith and non-denominational clergy love the inclusivity of their designs. Whether you are shopping for the smallest accessory or reevaluating your entire collection of vestments and pyramids, Jeff Wonro Designs would be honored to work with you to create something perfect. Jeff Wonro Designs, making ordinary time extraordinary since 2005. And when you order, be sure to enter the coupon code REDEEMERLIVES15. This is unusual, but I'm going to start today's podcast with a reading from the Bible. This is John chapter 11, verses 41 to 44. They removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes to heaven and prayed, Father, I'm grateful that you have listened to me. I know you always do listen But on account of this crowd standing here, I've spoken so that they might believe that you sent me. And then Jesus shouted toward the tomb, Lazarus, come out. And he came out, a cadaver, wrapped from head to toe and with a kerchief over his face. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him loose. That's a reading from the message. John 11. I'm joined today by Vince Prantel, who with his wife and two children has attended Redeemer for the last decade or so. These days he is a weekly volunteer at Redeemer's Outdoor Pantry, and he recently auctioneered in great style our wildly successful Redeemer Fest fundraiser for the embryonic mental health resource center that is being planned at our location. Vince recently had a Lazarus-like experience that he is willing to share with us today. So Vince, thank you for being with us. Sure. When you first came to Redeemer and I first got to know you about 10 years ago, you were a very talkative, animated, um, full of life kind of person. Um, And then in more recent years, I saw... um, I saw little movement and I saw fewer words and it looked to me like you were encased in cement sometimes and we we prayed for you as a congregation. We were so concerned for you. 
What was your evolving understanding about what was going on with you? I was uh, diagnosed as having uh, an anxiety disorder and uh, fairly substantial depressive symptoms. Uh, I still think that was absolutely true by, by the definition, but there was something deeper about this. Uh, we had tried many, many different kinds of medication protocols, and uh, some were more successful than others. Some were more dramatic. I had mag transcranial magnetic stimulation for seven weeks, which was supposed to normally turn somebody around. But my, my personal experience was that the world closed in on me. I, uh, I was also not aware of what all of you as outside people were noticing. My mother told me recently that every time she asked me a question, I would say I have to check with Carmen, my daughter. I, I have no recollection of ever not just saying it, but was saying it repeatedly. It was as if my whole psyche of who I was shut down. Uh, and I thought it was egged on by the depression, but in fact, it was a, a brain tumor that reappeared that I had had removed before. There is a connection that doctors don't understand. And uh, they had no way, except doctors who knew me, uh, like you do, that I had shut down. My general uh, uh, medication doctor, she, she said I wasn't at all like I used to be. And people would say that to me, and I thought, well, that's okay, because I am a lot quieter now. Uh, I certainly couldn't teach, but that took, that took an evolution about from 2017 to 2021. I started shutting down about four years before I had the surgery, so it was a long time. I would spend 20 hours a day in bed. Uh, it was very difficult. I had some friends. One friend came for me, rain or shine, once a week to go for a walk. There were people that tried to pull me out of the shell. I, I became a stranger to my family, and they were very, I think, frustrated at times because I had I would have string together three good days and then have five bad days. In general, there just wasn't enough oomph to make me me. So, mm -hmm. yes, and and I've been around people with depression of many types in my ministry, as you can imagine. But what I noticed in you was that it affected how you walked and how you stood in ways that I'd never seen before. And I got to know your family during your first surgery, brain surgery, mm -hmm. um, came to the hospital when you were in surgery and prayed with Lorna that day. So I always had that kind of in the back of my mind too and had a curiosity about that. Um, can you tell us how it became known that there was another surgery that needed to happen? Uh, that was just follow-up from the first first surgery was 2014, and uh, what I wasn't aware of at the time, my doctor said he had taken most of the tumor out. It's a, it's a very common type of non-malignant tumor, uh, but mine was touching the optic nerve and affecting my vision. That's a typical uh, symptom. Uh, it was also grown to the maximum size. It was 30 times larger than the size they normally say we have to remove. So once it gets to a size X, they say we should remove it. It was 30 times bigger than that. Wow. And it was about to touch cranial arteries, which would have given me a massive stroke. So they went in, but they didn't remove the tumor around the arteries or the optic nerve. 
the weight of the tumor was lifted off the nerve and I recovered all my sight, which was totally unheard of in this kind of surgery. Uh, normally it affects the nerve and grows into it. I had none of those conditions. So when I came out, I was feeling really good, but he had left half the tumor and that's how much had to be left. And I had follow-up MRIs every six months to a year. And in 2016, they told me it looks like it's starting to grow again, but I showed the surgeon, he said, leave it alone. The next year he said, no, it's just growing. Keep, it's keeping growing, so we have to take it out. Uh, he didn't do that until 2019, 2020. And then 2021, I had the surgery. So. And tell me about that recent surgery and how you felt afterward. Uh, yeah, I was only in the hospital one day. I was in the hospital for three or four days uh, with the first surgery. I had no complications, but things weren't right with my blood chemistry. Uh, this time, everything just seemed to avail, actually just absolutely seemed to be lifted. Uh, things that I hadn't been able to do, have a regular conversation with somebody, attack some really hard crossword puzzles, which I'm apt to do normally, uh, joke around. My sense of humor was back. I had one young male nurse who just gave me up and had another nurse take over because I kept ragging on him, I guess. And <laughs> as I'm apt to do, I might go too far sometimes. But I was just loving it because I was alive again. Uh, and what they found out was that the tumor was chock full of all kinds of hormones from the glands in my brain. So those are the things that made me, with lack of those, made me walk with a shuffle. They made me droop. They made me not stand up straight. They made me spend 20 hours a day in bed. And uh, nobody, nobody made the connection. So my doctors for psychotherapy and my doctors for the tumor had never actually had any conversation. Now they're actually talking with each other and they're going to study what happened. But I, I can't explain it. They don't know that the hormones that the tumor absorbed uh, directly in any way should have caused those effects with me. So it's, not, it's still not known or understood. I just know that a veil was lifted and uh, everybody noticed it right away. But I was, I was glad to be me again. I mean, I had, uh, everybody who knows me said it was like night and day, so. Yeah, as with Lazarus, it's like you were yeah. in, wrapped in claws and all those claws were unwrapped. And, and he was supposedly dead for four days. I was supposedly dead for four years. Yes. So that's yes. a long time to be dead. And this isn't the kind of dead where you see a, a great light and you enter the ocean and you're, presumably mm -hmm. added to some great, wonderful life thereafter. This was a death that was a kind of a spiritual death, a death kind of on earth, where you just, you couldn't be yourself. And I never knew what that ever would have felt like. And I, I still today only can more completely understand it by asking other people, because I was unaware this was going on. People would say, you know, you're, you're falling asleep in church, you put your head on the pew in front of you or something, and I think next week we won't go, and we, we would just talk about this week to week, and sometimes it was something that happened repeatedly, and I thought it happened once, so I was completely cut off from who I had become. You had always been a dynamic proclaimer of the word as a reader, and um, in earlier years you also preached, and we're going to be welcoming you back to the pulpit in the next um, several months here. Uh, but I have to confess that I got to the point where with one of your last readings before the surgery, 
I said, I wonder if Vince can do this anymore. Um, you wonder if, if what? If you could really do the readings anymore. Oh, yeah, no, no. It I, had gotten to that point. Mm-hmm, yeah. But you, you talk about the, the connection and the feedback that you're getting from other people. So this is one of the most delightful times in my ministry. And this was the month of, was it April of this year? When was your surgery? Which my month? surgery was March. March, in March. March. So he had barely gotten home from the hospital. Right. And I started getting texts from other members of the congregation and your neighbors um, telling me, Vince is back. He's cracking jokes. He's alive again. So for me as as a preacher and one who loves the scriptures, it was like the women at the tomb that were testifying to the resurrection that had happened. And there was such wonder and amazement and joy around all of this. Yeah, I, I have to admit, again, not knowing all the details of how I was behaving, I just had an intimate knowledge that I was myself again. I can't explain who I thought I was when I was ill, but I knew I was back to being who I was, and I could, just, I could feel it. Another touch point for me in your story, uh, as someone who watched you be in the tomb for four years, and emerge from it is when I I heard about what the tumor was doing, soaking up these very vital hormones. I felt a righteous anger about that tumor. (laughs) And I I had a a huge diatribe over it at dinner with my husband, so angry at the life that that stole from you um, for so long. And then also so grateful that it was gone. But but what an amazing, an amazing thing and an amazing experience you've had. And I want to ask you um, to go into kind of a a spiritual place with this. During that, what I'm calling in the tomb time, and now afterward, what did you perceive about God's presence? Very interesting. Uh, When I suffered depression associated with the first removal of the tumor, uh, when I was recovering, uh, it was a big deal for me to go out and have a walk. And both times, first time the tumor was moved in February, the second time in March. So it was more springtime this time. The first time, there was still massive ice and snow everywhere. And I would put on big boots, and Lorna would kind of egg me to go out for a walk. And uh, I, I would notice things, pick up on things. Uh, I actually went past an old air conditioning and refrigeration business in a little part of downtown Wauwatosa. And uh, of all things, there was a chalkboard in the window. And on the blackboard was a riddle. Let's see if I get it right. Uh, You see me when it's cold, but not when it's hot. You need me to live, take your last and you're not. What am I? And immediately I said, breath. Mm. And breath in Hebrew is ruah, is the Holy Spirit. And I went home and I told my whole family, I scribbled it on a piece of scratch paper and shoved it in my boot. And I went home and I told my family, I said, somebody is talking to me. And I, I sounded to what a lot of people would sound like as a crazy person. So uh, when I was suffering the depression, we went, I went on my weekly walk with my friend Richard. And we were walking uh, down by Doyne Park, and there's a small area where you cross under uh, Holly Avenue. 
and there are big pillars holding up the road. And uh, I went on the walk with Richard. I went on that walk every day of the week. And one day I come back and it said, uh, where are you, Vince? Signed, God. And I thought to myself, is it chalk? It had been scratched into the concrete. Where are you, Vince? Signed, God. And I thought to myself, I actually took a picture of that. And somehow I, I can find it on my camera, I know, and, and like taking a picture of a vampire is probably not going to be there. But, mm. but I went a week later, and I thought it was like washed off. Nothing of there. And I'm thinking to myself, did I imagine it? But there were these experiences like this that were just totally unexplainable and yet so easy. Well, of course, when it's signed God, it's easy to see a spiritual context to it. When it's chalkboard inside of a heating and air conditioning place, you know, nobody else was thinking God was talking to them, but I did. And the funny thing was my shoelace came untied right at that point. So I had to kneel. And when I kneeled, I could look in the window where it was clear and I could read it. And as I'm tying my boot. If I didn't have to tie my boot, I never would have seen it. So all, and, and when I went on that walk, I normally go one road, that road was closed. So I went to go around it, and that road was closed. Then I went to go around it, and I said, I'll have to cross the train tracks. I said, I better not do that. I went further to where there's actually an opening in the tracks, and that put me on a road, four roads to the left, further west than I normally would have gone, that took me past the store. So it was not my normal walk. It was four times different than my normal walk. Somebody was nudging me along the way. I have absolute faith that that's what happened. So, and when things like that, they weren't as clearly like that. I think the thing about the second tumor removal was just that I came back. But I was seeing, I was seeing God and spiritual natures to things much more, much more like I used to. Mm -hmm. Much, much more I was in tuned. And I felt I was, a, I was a sensitive probe that, that could feel and touch and hear those things. So I felt, I felt gifted. I felt very, very blessed that I was able to, to experience that. Moving through all of this, I wonder if there's a, a life lesson that you would want to share with other people as a result of this whole experience I I do what I feel one very very strongly uh, and it's going to be the crux of the sermon that I deliver in October uh, I'm a big fan of the movie the Shawshank Redemption and the theme that plays out plays differently for different characters in the movie I can just say if you haven't seen it you won't be sorry if you go see it but at one point uh, Andy turns to Red his good friend and says comes down to this. You get busy living or you get busy dying. And to me, that's been my theme ever since I came back. You get busy living or get busy dying. I remember so many interviews I heard on NPR where somebody would say, if you're not growing, you're actually dying. Okay, and time to prune the branches. And uh, so that is my mantra right now. I'm either living in the moment or I'm dying. So I don't want to die again. I've been there. I do not want to go back to that place without some hope for a life after, a different life after than what I was experiencing. So I, I've spoken at several funerals and I've picked up on this theme again and again and again. It's like it's the only one I have, but it's, it's not. I mean, I had done this before I had the tumor. I'd quoted from this movie and, and the character 
has to get up and actually do something. It's not enough to talk about it anymore. You have to do it. And he eggs on several other people to do things that they wouldn't normally have done. So I think my new mantra is that, you know, you tried to get me to work at Pantry before when I was sick, and I I couldn't see the point of it. You know, I said I could force myself one week, but then I wouldn't have any incentive to come back. Now it's something that I, I, I can't miss. Uh, there's all the talk I have about helping people that don't have enough food to eat, but now every week I can get my hands dirty. I can do something about it. However small that is, I'm doing more than I did before. I'm not just writing a check. I'm trying to get involved. I want to get involved in more things, but I'm tired of just talking the talk without walking the walk. So. Yeah. And I couldn't teach before. I decided to ask if I could tutor in at the department where I used to teach and and I said, you know, actually, I, I think I could actually teach if you wanted me part-time. And they were very gracious. And this fall, I'll be teaching on a very small load. Wow. So I, I think what I couldn't do before was actually doing for my son. I got him through AP Physics. Yeah. I think he would admit that that, that was a true connection between us. And uh, he said, are you going to teach that at school? And I said, I will teach that at school. I mean, Lauren was taking stuff that I teach the sophomores in college. And uh, I knew so many of the pitfalls of where they fall off the track and off the wagon. And I could see that with him. And I was able to work with him very successfully. And that kind of told me I still have it. And as long as I have it, I'd like to share it. That's beautiful because it reconnects you with your vocation and also with your son. I was sensing all of this again, whereas I I couldn't do any of that before. And that's why when my department chairman tried to talk me out of retiring, I said, no, I... I don't have it anymore. I just don't have it. And when I came back, I said, it's, it's like Lazarus. I have it now. I have, an, I have a day where I can get up and be vertical. I want to do something with it. Yeah. Well, Vince, this is a wonderful story that I'm so glad you're willing to share broadly, not only through this podcast, but when you do preach also in October. Uh, you said a moment ago that something was a little nerdy, and that made me think, boy, nerds are welcome at Redeemer. <laughs> we thrive on nerddom uh, yeah, around yeah. here. I wondered uh, if we could close out, if you have a, a favorite memory of Redeemer that you'd be willing to share. I have a very, very fond one, and that was, uh, I think it was, I can't remember if it was two or three, I think three years ago at least, maybe four, when you had uh, the nativity scene set and the people approaching the manger. And I, uh, I'm i not good friends with Willie Porter, but I know him and Catherine, and I know they're trying to find God in a lot of different ways, and they were there. Uh, a lot of my friends, Pastor Johnson and his son and wife, uh, and everybody was touched in a different way than I was. They, And I remember Pastor Johnson saying to me afterwards, where are you gonna see a black Joseph? Where are you going to see an African-American Joseph, an African-American Jesus? And it was, uh, it was just so quintessentially Redeemer, I told people afterward. This is what you find at Redeemer that you just don't find anywhere else. Thank you so much, Vince. Thank you for this time and for sharing with us uh, this amazing dynamic of, of feeling like you were living while dead for a while and then the great transformation after your surgery. You know, for all of us, the Jesus resurrection story is extremely unique um, as a real event. Uh, 
But it is a common story when you think of it as a symbolic event. There's so many ways in which things that appear dead can spring to life again. We witness it every springtime as we see brown grass turn green again and uh, bulbs emerge as flowers from the frozen ground. For all of us, we were saved by the Jesus resurrection event, but we are reminded of it by so many other stories, including Vince's. Hey, if you liked what you heard today, first of all, great. If you liked it so much you'd like to support us with a financial gift, please go to our website, RedeemerMilwaukee.org. There you will see links to our YouTube services, information on how we're serving our neighbors through the hardships of the pandemic, and yes, there is a donate button. Thanks in advance for the help. Redeemer Lives, Redeemer Lives is a podcast of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm Lisa Bates-Froyland, your host. Aaron Musser is our editor, sound designer, and engineer. Meredith Sipe sumner wrote and performed our theme. And join us again next time. Redeemer Lives, Redeemer Lives is sponsored in part by Outreach for Hope, a nonprofit organization that supports life-giving ministries serving low-income communities in the Greater Milwaukee Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Outreach for Hope grants have supported Redeemer Ministries for over 10 years. Until next time, peace be with you, peace be within you, and may peace be among us all. Goodbye. Goodbye.